Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We are in Colossians. We're going to finish chapter two today. I still in pastor, <laughs> allegedly. We're allegedly going to finish chapter two today. That's the plan. Um, I was telling Pastor Rick today, I expected this series, the whole book, to be done in about 10 weeks, but quite honestly, it may take us until sometime in November. Y'all okay with that? I mean, I'm going to do it anyway. I was just wondering what your opinion was on it. Um, it's still the word, right? So today we're going to be talking out of uh, Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 23. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, I want to, I'll, be, I'll be getting to that in just a moment. But I want to talk to you first about how last week Pastor Rick filled in for me. He did a great job from what I understand to explain that we are made complete in Christ Jesus. That our salvation is complete, that our forgiveness is complete, and that ultimately, according to the text, our victory is is complete. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ Jesus has done. Amen? And so with that in mind, and I believe with that in, uh, we're going to continue to teach because I think with that in mind, Paul starts the next section where he he's essentially going to spend what we know is verses 16 through 23 speaking specifically against the three errors that the church in Colossians was making. And so we're going to talk about those errors today and why we should do everything we can to avoid those errors ourselves in, in the modern church. So those errors are, uh, there's, there's some technical names for them. The first one is legalism, which is a works-based faith. The second one is mysticism, which is a, a faith based on our feelings. And that's very simplified, but it's as simple as I can say it. Uh, and then asceticism, which is self-empowered discipline. And so the people that were coming and teaching falsely in the Colossian church were saying, listen, you have to add something to your faith. Your feelings matter. And that ultimately your ability to self-discipline is absolutely necessary. Now, these things seem right to us because the Bible tells us that we should be obedient that we should perform works. James, the contradiction that people often make or assume is that faith has to exist outside of works. Works has, is contrary to faith. When that, In fact, that's not true. Romans, Paul is speaking about faith. James is speaking about works to the degree that he says, show me your works, I'll show you your faith. Your faith is is demonstrated through our work. So that seems right, right? That we should be people that work. It seems right that our feelings should be involved because we are emotional people. God created us to be emotional people. And like just a few moments ago when we're in the middle of a song, it engages our emotion. A love for God is an effective emotion for obedience. Did y'all know that? As a matter of fact, it's probably the primary 
motivation for obedience. I want to love God well based on the feelings that I have of him. It's fine as long as it's your feelings are based out of the word of God and not something else. And then, so you have works-based and then you have feelings and then you have personal self-discipline. We should be people of discipline. Where we get messed up though is that our self-discipline isn't spirit-led, it's personal self-discipline. You don't have the strength in you to cut the stuff out of you that needs to be removed from you. <clears throat> and so all of these things together sound like the truth. But here's the thing about a lie. A lie can sound like 99.9% .9 truth. But if you add 0.01% of a lie to it, it taints the whole thing. I had a buddy of mine tell me one time, he said, the devil doesn't care if you drink an ocean full of truth. If he can get you to take one shot glass full of a lie. Because the lie will kill you. And so that's, that makes it very difficult for us to to understand where is the what identifies the truth from a lie. And Paul's trying to correct these things. And, and necessarily so. We have to be pro proactive against these false teachings. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate, which means gather around themselves, teachers in accordance to their own desires. People are going to tell them, listen, whatever you want to do is fine with me. You're, you're okay. You can live contrary to the word of God. And, and we're going to love you anyway. The fact of the matter is we are going to love you anyway, but we're going to love you enough to tell you the truth. But anyway, he says, teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Ladies and gentlemen, that time is right now. If there's ever been a time that that's upon us, it's right now. And for that reason, the church has to be proactive. Paul says this to the, to the leaders in the Ephesian church as he's leaving them in Acts 20, 28 through 30. He says, be on guard for yourselves. And for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Here's the thing, man. The church doesn't belong to me, so I can't just tell the church whatever it is I want to tell them. The church has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And so for me to, to stand against the owner of the church means that I deserve to be kicked out of the church for that false teaching, amen? Because my job, your job, is to protect one another from the enemy, the shepherd, or the wolf that may come in and try to destroy the flock. That's not just my responsibility, though. That's y'all's responsibility. If you hear a false teaching, if you hear somebody say something, well, Pastor Jim said so-and-so, and you know that's not the truth, first I want you to correct them, and then come to me and ask me, did you say that? And if it's what I said, then you need to correct me. Because the most significant thing we can do is protect the truth. Because if we don't protect the truth, the enemy will get in. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Why would they do that? Why do false teachers exist? False teachers exist to draw their own influence, to grow their own platform. I'm not trying to grow my own platform or increase my influence, nor should you. 
Your responsibility is to grow the kingdom of God through faithfulness. Amen? And so this is what Paul's speaking against. And we have to stand opposed to it. We, otherwise, it's a matter of time before we're dissuaded from that truth. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, we read this. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You know, that's what happens when we don't pay attention to the truth. For which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing and want to distort the gospel of Christ for their own influence or their own platform. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, now if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Anytime Paul reiterates or restates the statement, he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to say, listen, don't distort the gospel or you'll be accursed. In the very next verse, he says, don't distort the gospel or you'll be accursed. We have to pay attention so that we ultimately aren't accursed. Let this be a house that's known for preserving, protecting the truth so that people aren't dissuaded from that truth. Amen? That's the best we can do because we can't do anything else. If I, if I messed up the truth, if I tried to, tried to influence you to believe something other than the gospel as it exists in the Word of God, it's a matter of time before this isn't a church anymore. This is a place where people come and hang out. And so we're going to protect the truth because the truth, which is Christ Jesus, plus nothing is enough. Amen? So let's talk about what Paul is talking about. With that in mind, let's talk about these three heresies. And two, starting in verse 16. The first point, and I'm going to make these points individually as I read the text for those points. Paul says this in 16 and 17. Therefore, because we are completed in Christ, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day things which are mere shadows of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Paul starts with human works. Truth trumps legalism. He's talking about human works. Let no one be a judge to you. Don't let anybody judge you. You are judged by the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Does everybody understand that? There is one thing you will be judged by in regard to your eternity. That is your proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. Secondarily, in regard to the crowns and the jewels that you're just going to turn back over to Jesus as a worship offering anyway, then your deeds. But those are deeds as led by the Spirit of God for you to perform. Those are deeds that God... Bef 
before time had a had a had a plan for you to to, to do. You're his workmanship, designed for his work, not for the sake of work, but for his work. Legalism is dangerous because it gives the air of righteousness without having to refrain the flesh. If I say, you need to do such and such, or if I try to force myself into doing such and such, what happens is I end up trying to promote myself. And I'm going to see, you see what I did? You see what I did? Over there, you see what I did? I did that thing over there. The Bible says don't let your left hand do what you know what your right hand's doing. Now, that's true in most cases sometimes so that other people may see what the work of the church is. It's necessary to discuss those things in public. But for the most part, I've told you this a hundred times, the work that you do, the worship that you give through acts of service are margin issues. They happen within the margin of your calendar. People without the ability for people to see or people to know about. If most of your ministry isn't happening outside of of your calendar, in the margins of your calendar, outside the walls of the church, you're probably living in a works-based relationship with the Lord, which is to say you don't have a relationship with the Lord. Here's the hard truth, and it's, it's tough. You can't usher enough to go to heaven. You can't give enough money to buy your way into God's city. You think money means anything to him? It's only an opportunity to show whether or not you're faithful with what he's given you so that the kingdom of God might ultimately grow. He's not, there's nothing we can do. We can't show up to the Joseph's storehouse just to look good showing up at Joseph's storehouse. We have to be there because we have a heart to grow the kingdom of God. That's the difference between a works-based faith and a faith-based, a Christ-centered faith is that it does what it needs to do to ensure that Christ Jesus is known that he has made glorious, that people might understand the kingdom of God and their place in it. Amen? And so ultimately God can be glorified. That's, that's the heresy he's fighting against. They're saying Christ isn't enough, but Christ is the only thing that matters. To place ourselves in a works-based faith, if I were to tell you, you have to, man, I tell you, I, I struggle with this. Most of you guys know. Well, most of you guys probably struggle with this. I got a list of 10 things. If I get these th 10 things done, God's going to love me. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The fact of the matter is, if you don't get any of those things done, God loves you anyway. But we should still try to do that, what we've been, that which we've been called to do. But Christ is simply enough. Amen? If I, if I work in my works, if I stand on my works and not on Christ Jesus, then I am living a life that is a yoke of slavery. I've renewed myself again to the yoke that Christ broke off of me. That's what he's talking about here in verse 16. He says, don't let anyone act as your judge in regard to food or drink or festival, or new moon, or Sabbath. These are all Jewish legalistic things that they had to do to keep the law. You're not under the law anymore. Everybody say it. I'm not bound by the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. 
That's right. You could say that all day long, every day. I'm not bound by the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. He is saying literally, don't let people consume you or bother you with what you're eating or drinking. You have freedom in Christ Jesus. You're not bound by what's clean versus unclean. Now, you are bound to ensure that you're not a stumbling block to someone who may be struggling or who is weaker in your faith, but don't let somebody tell you, hey, you can't eat that. I can eat whatever I want to because I'm free in Christ Jesus. Everybody all right? So he's telling them, let that go. That's law. He's telling them, he continues, he said, in regard to festivals, that is to say, Pentecost and uh, Feast of Tabernacles and all of these kinds of things. Don't worry about those. Those are all representations of something else. You know what that something else is? Christ Jesus. New Moon Festival, which is the first of the month when they offered sacrifices you're not obligated to that because you were in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus broke that slavery off of you. Not only new moons, but the Sabbath day. I have more arguments with more people about the Sabbath than anything else. Did you know God doesn't care if your Sabbath is a Tuesday or a Sunday or a Wednesday or a Thursday or a different day of every week? Sometimes this week I took my Sabbath on Monday. Because my body needed to rest. Most of the time, it's on Thursday. Because Wednesdays are usually long days for me. But God didn't make Sabbath for Him. He made Sabbath for us according to the Word of God. Why are we arguing things that we have no business arguing? Stop with the works-based faith stuff. Jesus not happy with it. Matter of fact, it says that all of those things were a mere shadow of the real thing, which is Christ Jesus. He said, I came that I might what? Fulfill. fulfill. He didn't terminate it. He fulfilled it. People say it's either the law or it's Jesus. No, it's Jesus that the law was showing what he would look like and what we were responsible to when he came up. So when he says, I fulfilled it, he said, hey, you know all that stuff you were doing? Those sacrifices you were making? All that all those festivals you were doing, let me explain to you how I fulfilled all of those things. I am, I am. Amen? That's good. That's right on. If we could just get a hold of it. Amen? Let the works go. Paul's saying, listen, I don't, just focus on Christ. Don't focus on works. If you focus on Christ, you'll want to work but you'll ensure you're working where work is necessary and what you're called to based on your gifting and what he's, he's given you. Secondly, <coughs> excuse me. Truth trumps mysticism, which is feelings. Truth trumps our feelings. 18 and 19 says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize but by delight, delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Listen to this. I'm going to say it again. 
Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by first delighting in self-abasement. You know what self-abasement is? Do you know what abasement is? Abasement's humility. Self-abasement is false humility. Stop defiling yourself with false humility and just be humble. Mirror Christ Jesus, according to Philippians chapter 2, for he was humble. He came as a servant. So we have to make sure that we're not putting on the air of this look at me, how holy I am. There's a verse in, verses in Scripture that talk about the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector that go in the temple. And one raises his hands and beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me, and starts talking all this stuff. And the lowly tax collector says he couldn't even look up towards heaven, for he was humbled by his condition. Guess which one of those walked away righteous? Not the one that's making show of himself, not the one that wears long robes and that does all the stuff to look religious, but the one who is humble enough to say, I can't do this on my own. I don't have the strength in my own ability to do what you've asked me to do, but I'm going to stand firm believing that by your Spirit you will empower me. That's humility. And humility has nothing to do with your feelings. That's right. We're humble because Jesus Christ gave His life for us. But Pastor Jim, my feelings are important. Except they aren't. <laughs> I've never met someone driven by their emotion that was also righteous. We have to recognize. The Bible says here, it says, let no one defraud you of your prize by delighting in abasement, by the worship of angels. Worshiping angels is still a real thing right now. You go into some people's houses and they got 500 angels and they're praying to angels and all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you what, there's only one intercessor between us and God and that's Christ Jesus. There's no angel that can empower you to do anything. Now, do I believe ministering angels or, or angels are ministering spirits unto those who receive the promise of salvation? Yes, because that's what the Word of God says. They offer ministry, but they're not to be prayed to. They're not to be worshiped. But it makes me feel good. I don't care how it makes you feel. People will say, well, I've had a vision, and I'm going to stand on the vision that God gave me. Let me tell you, you better make sure that that vision is declared in the Word of God, that it's not contrary to the Word of God, that it's been confirmed by the Spirit of God in sound counsel, or that's a false vision. I hear people all the time, thus saith the Lord. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And then they get up and say something crazy. You know? What they ought to say is, thus saith the word of the Lord. Because if it doesn't also include, thus saith the word of the Lord, you shouldn't be listening to it, much less standing on it. The church is dying due to these prophetic people that have determined to have their own vision stand on it and then cause us to drift away. Well, I listen to so-and-so because so-and-so makes me feel good. Nobody cares about your feelings. And you shouldn't care about your feelings so much so as to allow it to dissuade you from what God has for you. I only tell you these things because I love you and it's absolutely necessary. 
We have to be humble, not self-aggrandizing or self-abased. We have to pay attention to who we're worshiping, regardless of whether or not you're worshiping to make you feel good or not. I could tell you probably, I don't know, I'm a, this is a made-up statistic, honestly, but it's a large number, I'd say. Probably 20% of the American church right now worships in a false church because somebody hasn't told them the truth and it makes them feel good to sit in there. And that's a sad state of affairs. Did you know that we are now, for the first time in all of history, below 50% of the American population going to church? If you asked half the population, half the population wouldn't just tell you they're not going to church. They'll be mad that, you'll ask them, that you asked them about it in the first place. You ever seen somebody so wrapped up in the objective truth, that is, they, or the subjective truth, that is, it's subject to their feelings, that you present them with a truth and they go ballistic? Like they have no idea, they can't articulate, they use any sense of control over their self. You know why? Because they've heard a lie long enough for in their own head for it to become the truth. And the reason they heard the lies because they wanted to sit in a congregation where the people that were speaking to them tickled their ears, not challenged their spirit. And we should do both. Paul is saying, stop doing that. If it's based on your feelings, stop doing it. It has to be according to the objective truth, the truth of the Word of God. This is the only real truth. Amen? So he continues with that. He says, and not holding fast to the head. All of this stuff would go away if we just held fast to the head. That is Christ Jesus. If I held on to Christ Jesus, I wouldn't worry about what angels are doing. If I held on to Christ Jesus, I wouldn't need visions to make me feel good. If I held on to Christ Jesus, that in itself would cause me to be humble. Everything that pushes our emotions, not everything, most things that push our emotions aren't, are, are pushed because we aren't focusing on the right thing. It makes me sad. I watch, I'm on social media. And I look at people and I say, I, I see them just say dumb things that are contrary to the Word of God and I think, you know better than this. And then the next time I see them, I confront them and they get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at whoever told you the lie in the first place. Let anger be the emotion or the feeling in you if that's the case. Anyway, I, I ramble. My whole point is, don't base what you believe based on your feelings because your feelings are derived from your heart. And according to Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceptive above all things and beyond cure. Who can, who can understand it? Your heart's deceptive. You guys ever talk yourself into doing something that you didn't, never thought you'd actually do? I have. Give thought to a thing till it becomes a meditation. Give meditation to a thing until it becomes action. Give action to a thing till it becomes habit, and when it becomes habit, there's death. Because your heart is deceptive. It wants what it wants, even if what it wants is contrary to the Word of God. We have to ask the Spirit of God to help us there. Amen? Which brings us to the last point, and really a quite simple one. 
truth trumps asceticism, which is self-empowered discipline. Truth trumps self-empowered discipline. 20 through 23, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles, principles of the word, world, which we should have, we shouldn't be concerning ourselves with these elementary things anymore. We should have at some point moved from milk to meat or at least moving towards meat. Amen? Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined or perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So what's he saying? We're called to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. People that tell you these things, don't handle that. Don't taste that. Don't touch that. You have to do this. You have to do that. You don't have the ability to do those things on your own. You have to submit yourself. We have to submit ourselves to the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Because it's only by the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can overcome those things. That we are purified from the deeds of unrighteousness. And we struggle there so bad because we want our discipline. We want our self-discipline. Because it makes us feel good. If I check off this, 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 and this. You see how closely and interrelated these false teachings are? But each of them are dangerous, cumulatively they're destructive. And so Paul's saying, listen, pay attention. Don't adhere to a religion of false works. Don't adhere to a religion based on how you feel. Don't adhere to a religion that's dependent upon your discipline because your discipline will never accomplish what God in you can accomplish. Amen? Christ I would challenge you, don't be dissuaded from the prize and hold tightly to the head. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen.